What's going on, you Easter egg-eating elephants? Happy Easter, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by the wondrous Will, also known as Hudafunk. What's up, listeners? Good to be back for another week with my good pal James. Feeling the Easter festivities? Yes. Lots of chocolate being eaten over there? Loads of chocolate being eaten. Uh, I'm actually... What I typically do is uh, we kind of wait until after and then all of the Easter eggs go on sale. <laughs> Scoop up a few of those bad boys. But no, it's been unchained this week. I'm breaking out in spots all over. I've just been shoving chocolate into my face whenever I get an opportunity. Very nice too. You have to eat for both of us, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, don't you worry about that, buddy. I got us covered. <laughs> nice. So in this, uh, it's not really an Easter themed episode, but you know, it's coming out Easter Monday. So there we go. But in this Eastery episode, I guess we're going to be doing the usual catch up. We've got a few interesting news stories, a couple of things from Sony, which are interesting to say the least. And then of course, we've got Completionist Corner, where this week we talk a story of conspiracies and nonsense. What game is it? Stick around to find out. But first, let's hit those socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. And with all that said and done, let's catch up, baby. So, Will, outside of eating all of the chocolate that you possibly have in the world over there, have you been playing any games this week? Damn straight. <laughs> yeah, so this week uh, I had come to the sudden realisation that I've got very few days left in order to complete the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Battle Pass. Currently, right now, we're sat on about three or four days left, so I'm planning on using a lot of the Easter holiday to hopefully complete that. We're about half of the way through at the moment, so... Ah, easy. Ooh, we'll see, we'll see. It might be a little touch and go towards the end there. It really depends. I've got a few plans as well that, uh, that might sort of overtake that, but for the most part, I've almost unlocked everything that I really want to unlock. As long as I've got all of the skins that I wanted and I've got all of the new weapons in the game, the rest is just kind of vehicle skins, a couple blueprints for guns and things like that, which uh, I'm not overly fussed about, but hey, if I can do it, I will do it. There you go. Well, you managed to get the last one fully completed, right? In quite quick time. I did, but I had a bit of a leg up there because I bought the pre-order edition, which gives you something like 50 free levels. So I, I already had 50% oh, completed. Okay. Oh, so enough, yeah. roughly around this time, last battle pass, I had 100%ed it already. Got but yeah. Uh, yeah, this is now going to be like a final push. And uh, fingers crossed I can do it. But in order to pump up the battle pass, uh, one of the best ways I've found to do that is to play the DMZ mode, which we talked a little bit before on the podcast. It's sort of a escape from Tarkov for Babbies kind of mode where you sort of go in with a loadout. If you die while you're on the battlefield, you lose everything. Yes, yeah, the Dark Zone from the Revision. You what? Yeah, the that's re- it. The Revision. Oh my goodness. You moron. The Division. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. You go in, uh, whatever you manage to scrounge, you then seek to extract. And if you don't manage to do that, then you've lost everything that you went in with. It's a satisfying game mode, and uh, one of the main challenges that you can do there is to extract these things called weapon crates. The weapons crates are usually based around a really heavily guarded part of the map, and that will include things like the Juggernaut characters, the really heavily armoured guys with Gatling guns. I mentioned before on one of the pods as well that there was a recent update where they added a Sheikah Island, which is kind of like a much smaller place than Al-Masra, which is the large desert area that came on release with the game. Right. So when you go onto a Sheikah Island, it tends to be, it's more densely populated, 
there's a lot more guards around and it's constantly aggro, but it is a much smaller island to get around. One of the best places to go and where the weapons crate is situated is a place called Suki Castle or Suki <laughs> Castle. Sounds dirty. Yeah, dirty boy. Talk dirty to me. So we head to Suki Castle and there is actually one of, uh, they're kind of like a drone with track tires, a bit like a tank, but they go around. It's got a, it's a Gatling gun mounted on kind of like a mini tank, basically. It's like an RC then. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like a remote control car um, with a Gatling gun mounted on it. And you need to attack that. And it is almost as strong as a juggernaut. It's just not quite as maneuverable as one, but it does chase you out and you need to sort of slowly tease it out and do damage to it. After a while, you'll kind of destroy it to the point where you can run up and hack it. And once you've hacked it, that will then grant you access into the Suki castle proper sort of thing because all of that is going around in the courtyard uh you break into the castle and then you face down rooms and rooms of traps there's claymores there's security cameras around and with your hacked rc does that help or is it just you hack it and then it lets you in and then you can't use it no hacking an rc uh in this one unfortunately you don't get to then control it it purely is for the purposes of letting you into the castle that would have been nice if you got like two or three minutes of just automated minigun car outside as well that'd be quite sick or like up to five kills or something cool yeah i don't know it is actually available as a kill streak though in the multiplayer it is oh, one of those nice. things that you okay. can get in a care package or you can unlock after getting however many kills maybe nine or ten kills you'd unlock it okay and then do you control that directly then or is it automatic behind you sort of thing it's a bit like the old call of duties you just kind of lie down somewhere pull out a remote control yeah, yeah, and yeah. then assume control of it so they like find the nearest crate that you can hide behind exactly then, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get killed while you're controlling it, it doesn't stop you from controlling it. In the multiplayer, at least, I assume it probably would in DMZ. But, probably, uh, yeah. Yeah, so once you've got into the castle, you've snuck past all of the traps, you'll eventually kill a load of armored guys and be able to extract the weapons case. But the thing is, is that the moment that you pick it up, a big alert goes round to every other online player in the area telling them that someone's picked up the weapons case and this is their exact location. It pinpoints you for everyone on the map. So if someone else wanted to, they could follow you, steal it, just as you're trying to extract from the helicopter. So typically you want to do this mission with at least three people. Two at the very, very least, because you want someone to watch your back. There could be just someone sat just outside the castle waiting for someone to extract the weapon case. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Sea of Thieves there. You can have these like gut-wrenching moments where you come out with your treasure and someone just robs it and you see oh, it uh, disappear off into the why, distance. Why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> PTSD I'd, I'd forgotten there. about that, and that still hurts me. Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember when we did that? It was uh, us and matey. I forget, was it was a Joe? Shout yeah, out to that's Joe. right, yeah. And we f***ing did that whole big quest. We went all that way, and we got back to the final island, and then some cunty group of three came and stole our treasure. Oh. I think they were camping, actually, at the place where we needed to deposit the treasure. They we were, just didn't yeah. realise that was the thing, is they were just hiding there, waiting for someone to drop it off. Dastardly people. That was the worst, that was. Dirty, rotten traitor. We did actually, on our escape, so we managed to rescue two weapons crates in the end uh, over the past week. Typically because that castle is quite hard to get into and we've been sort of learning it. I think we could sort of do it now a bit more reliably, but it, it took us quite a while to figure out how to do that. The first time that we did it, it just went off completely without a hitch. We went in, smash and grab, grabbed the package, hopped on the helicopter and beamed out of there. The second time though, it was way more complicated. It was myself and Jem, shout out Jem. We were playing together and we were also joined by two randoms. We got into the castle. One of the other players picked up the weapons crate 
and me and Jem were like, okay, we need to go, sort of thing. I got lost in the car, so oh, I couldn't find my way out. Jem and one of the other guys were outside. Our guy with the weapons crate was still inside, and I had somehow managed to find myself underground now at this point, desperately looking for a way out, and I had to escape through like a big secret waterway that had a juggernaut in it. So, uh, just terrifying moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kind of blindly running out of bad situation to worse situation. Jem's screaming for everyone to find him, and we have our guy still aimlessly running around. Eventually, they do manage to regroup over time. I then manage to find them because I'm completely separated from all. At that point, I've fallen through a secret hatch, and I've had to go out to sea, turn around myself, and come back. Oh, to wow. my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The waterway leads out to the ocean, and <laughs> you, you would just got that Sea of Thieves vibe and just thought, oh, I just I'll go to I'm the gonna sea. roll with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> came back in with a cannon and a monkey. <laughs> Damn straight. So we managed to regroup, and then thankfully, actually, because of there was such a significant delay between me regrouping with them, I managed to turn up just as another player was camped out with an LMG shooting all of them, so I managed to completely flank him. We then got very, very close to the helicopter. We'd called it in. Three of us went down. Jem was the only one remaining. He legged it into the helicopter, and he was genuinely thinking about just f***ing off and leaving all of us to, <laughs> leaving all of us to die, because I think he'd managed to recover the weapons crate off the guy that had then rejoined them since. Because yeah. if one of your characters goes down, you can have a quick fish around in their inventory and, uh, and take it. Nice. No bit of robbery. But in a heroic moment, he turned it round. He came out, revived all of us. We managed to regroup and recover the weapons crate all together as well. Uh, I was really hoping you'd then be like, and in a heroic move, he came out, he re recovered us all, but then we all got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and none of us got the weapons crate. <laughs> we did. No, no, no. We we nah, did manage cool, to recover man. it, which was great. Uh, so that is two out of seven or ten weapons crates, I believe. These are things that, honestly, it's it's such a hard thing to do, or at least comparatively to what you're actually awarded. I think that out of these rewards which are set, I've got maybe, I think it, one was a calling card and one was an emblem, so they really are... Oh, wow. Not worth it at all. <laughs> not worth it at all, except for a handful of them. There's some that are weapon blueprints, and there are some that are, I assume, sort of specific skins or, or decals and things like that. But you don't get anything like special attachments or anything like that, which might make you sort of seriously run for it if it's for your favourite weapon or something like that? No, not particularly. Not in those challenges, at least. I guess because they're quite easily repeatable and they'd probably run out of things to give you if, if they had things like that. There are things like that out there, but those weapon cases, they're more sort of you do it for the challenge and fact that you get an absolute bunch of experience by doing them as well. Oh, okay. So good for levelling up guns rather than actually getting new sh** for said guns. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, DMZ is a really good way to level up guns, level up your battle pass, get loads of XP. I think it's still, I mean, it's still listed as beta, actually, in the uh, in the thing, which is a kind of, I know a lot of video games do that now, and it's just sort of like, <laughs> almost it feels like a safety net for bugs and issues that people might experience. Yeah, it's what happens when you release games and they're not finished. Yeah, exactly, which is, seems to be a growing theme these days, but i got to say that I haven't encountered really any issues at all with DMZ in terms of that. At least no issues that are exclusive to DMZ. You know, we've spoken about weird visual lobby glitches and stuff like that before. But no, other than that, man, that's uh, that's pretty much me for the week. I've just been struggling my way through getting those battle pass tokens. What about you? I have not really played a huge amount of anything this week, if I'm honest with you. I did 
go back into Wolong and then 100% it. Okay. So that was oh, quite yeah. neat. Because in the most recent patch, 1.05, I believe it is, they added a thing where on the mission selection screen, it actually tells, it tracks what items and unlockables you've you've unlocked in that level. That's nice, yeah. So all I had to do was go around and get missing items, get the last, you know, remember them panda things? Oh, yeah. yeah. Shite shoes or shitty shoes or something. I can't remember what they're called. It sounds like shitty shoes. Little cute panda roly-poly people yeah but yeah you know so i collected all of those got all the missing items so my flask is now fully upgraded and all that good stuff got 100 percent of the achievements so did that now just waiting for dlc in a couple of months which would be lovely and then i tried to go back and start elden ring again okay it's finally caught you back it did a little bit yeah and i I sort of got quite far in it in terms of i played quite a lot of hours started again a few times because i needed to i was trying to do a very specific thing whereby i go straight to altus plateau from the start of the game get a very specific weapon and then come back and what made you have to restart uh well just me being a perfectionist and missing certain side quest starts and therefore going back to do it to start again and stuff so that was fine and finally got into a file that i was happy with was playing it was going really super well but then i got to godric and i started doing that and it was going phase one was going fine but then when it flipped over to second phase, you know, he rips off the dragon head and then you get the fire breathy stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. The game just went to about five FPS. Oh, shit. Okay, what happened And there? I I've no idea. And it just, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't play. It was impossible to play. I, I tried and I got him down to maybe three or four hits left, but I just couldn't do it. It was impossible because he was still moving full speed, but I couldn't. Oh, right. Okay. No, so as, in in ter- as in in terms of what the game was doing. He was still perfectly doing his stuff. Of course, while you're react. trying to mitigate the fact your game is running at half speed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was really weird. And, you know, I've got pretty good hardware. That shouldn't be happening. And it never happened in my first, like, you know, 98-hour playthrough. It never happened. Graphics card driver talk. Have you recently updated your graphics card driver? Not recently. Maybe a month ago, I think the last one was. Start of March? Yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's all good. Yeah, it was just very weird. And that kind of put me off a little bit, actually. I, I was a bit like, uh, not sure I can be asked with this now with that. So I stopped playing it, and that's really where I've got to. The only other thing I've done is this uh, mystery conspiracy game that we're going to talk about a bit later. But yeah, that was really me. The only other thing that I was thinking of playing was um, on the day of recording, the new EA Sports Golf games come out today. Oh, so I okay. was I was okay. tempted to pick that up and uh, give that a little play before the pod today, but um, I'm a little bit scared of PC ports at the moment on day one, so I'm uh, giving it a little bit of uh, waiting time. I'm going to wait, and I'm right. The reviews are mixed, with most people saying, "Yeah, PC port shit." Oh dear, yeah. You know, I'm not going to drop sixty pound on a new game that doesn't work on PC properly from the get go, and EA have a little bit of a reputation for that <laughs> fine yeah it really has been the year of bad pc ports hasn't it i heard that last of us part one even was struggling uh even on some pretty serious hardware on the pc as well i watched a little digital foundry video and they were breaking it down and saying they had some real issues just in terms of dips that you wouldn't expect from running 40 series hardware yeah it's crazy to me that it happens, but unfortunately it doesn't surprise me anymore. Yeah, so no, that's that's me basically. So if we're all caught up, I think it's now time to move on to the news. So in our first news story this week, Sony has patented a new type of controller. The patent seems to be proposing that the signature protruding grips of a PlayStation controller be made out of a reshapeable elastic material, which is hilariously called the elastic member. (laughs) 
this new construction could, in theory, deliver better haptic feedback. So we're talking controller rumble, things no, like that. I bet it could, that elastic yeah, member. Yeah, elastic member with its vibrating features. I'm about to stretch that member. Well, and get this as well as temperature changes. What? This is, this is a fake article, James. I'm checked out now. I, I no longer believe you. This is not a real thing. Hey, it is. It's very real. But according to the patent, the shape or hardness, giggity, of the portions of the elastic members, which they've put in brackets, grips, but elastic members is better, changes in response to a process performed by the information processing apparatus, such as a game, which makes it possible, for example, to present the material of a virtual object in a game space to the user as a haptic sensation, present the temperature of the virtual object as a warm cold sense, or, or things like that. So basically what we're talking about is if you like go into a room that's full of lava, for example, your controller might heat up. It could start bubbly, like little bumpy bits in it to bubble the lava. Who hey, knows? well, it could do. This thing's meant to be malleable and destructible, so who knows? But you're also thinking like it might go cold if you try and lock the butler in the freezer in Tomb Raider, for example. Fine, yeah. Okay, that sounds really intriguing. I mean, it sounds like in, in the same way it's... Similar kind of gimmick to the haptic stuff in the sense that if you didn't have it before, it doesn't really sound like the sort of thing you'd miss, although I bet that it could be put to a bunch of cool uses. Just it remains to be seen how many third parties, you know, will actually go on to make use of that technology as well. I know you didn't play on the PlayStation 4 much, but that had like a whole touchscreen thing that could be put to loads of uses. And actually, you know, there was a lot of small specific things that you could do with it that were really cool. But next to no one used it for anything in their games sort of thing yeah. uh, so and it's just one of the i wonder if this will actually be picked up by third party game designers and ways to do it i tell you what i can't wait to see what kojima does with this that's for sure well it's worth noting before you get too excited that it's only a patent there's absolutely no reason to believe they'll definitely do this they're just getting ahead of the game with the technology personally i think it's a load of nonsense why would you need that shit? My hands get hot enough anyway playing games. I don't want the controller to heat my hands up. Not only that, do you really want that much heat next to a battery? No, thank you. That's a terrible idea. I, I don't, wouldn't. I doubt it would be uh, sort of that type of uh, level of heat enough to disturb a battery. But I think I'm sure someone said the same thing about a vibrating controller 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, and I never used that either. <laughs> oh, do you turn off rumble as I well? I turn vibration, yeah, because it saves battery. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, fine, yeah. I think that there definitely is a use for it. It's just the sort of thing that it's going to be used as a gimmick by very few people. And as you said, this is a patent, so it's not even confirmed. When I first read the article, i got to say, I didn't actually put together that this was necessarily purely for those purposes in terms of this next generation of HD rumble in terms of going heat and cold and things like that. When you said it was a reshapable elastic material, I was thinking that you were more referring to a controller for people with accessibility issues. I guess I completely misunderstood that. I thought that Sony was uh, like uh, offering their counterpart to the Xbox adaptive controller that they had. Uh, but uh, no, this seems to be, this is going to be Astro's Playroom 2, isn't it? Where they're going <laughs> to, yeah. It's a cool concept, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not for me, but it's a cool concept. I can see that much, but yeah, I'd be surprised if this becomes a thing. I, you know, I, I'm always for pushing technology forward in weird and wonderful, interesting ways, and I think that this is just kind of another step in that direction. Really, I can see that there's limited uses for this, but it's definitely something that's not going to revolutionise gaming. I'd be amazed to see that, but uh, I think that it's definitely something that I'll be welcome to see. Although 
the price of that controller is going to be through the roof considering the cost of controllers now. You're looking at about £50 for a controller now. Whereas uh, these things, if they're going to have that sort of technology in them, and I, I, God, I mean, even some of like the elite pro controllers and things, they're like a couple hundred quid. Which is about $300 for anyone listening in the US or elsewhere. But as I say, it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing what some more inventive game designers do with. I'd love to see Kojima set loose. As I said before, I'd love to see him set loose on uh, on a game that involved this sort of technology. Well, I'm thinking Metal Gear Solid 1 Remake, that bit where you have to do hot and cold stuff that you were talking to me about the other week. That would be perfect for it, right? They should just have inbuilt temperature sensors as well so that you can like stick your controller in the fridge and fast track that bit or just stick it in the oven for a couple minutes to... Uh, oh yeah, that's great consumer advice. Just whack your controller in the oven. Don't worry about the circuit Heat that bad boy right up. <laughs> oh dear. So, continuing with Sony releases, following days of speculation, Insider Gaming can report that there's a new PlayStation handheld in development. Codenamed the Q-Lite, the next PlayStation handheld is the next piece of Sony hardware that aims to be yet another piece of hardware that requires the PlayStation 5, which seems kind of dumb to me. As for the console's physical features, early prototypes show that the console will look a lot like a PlayStation 5 controller but with a massive 8-inch LCD touchscreen in the centre. The device sports adaptive triggers for haptic feedback, and Insider Gaming understands that the Q-Lite is in its QA phase and is scheduled to be released before the PlayStation 5 Pro and after the detachable disk drive PS5. And it's understood that the PlayStation 5 Pro is aiming for a holiday 2024 release. Now, I never played any of the PSP, but I believe you did, Will. And so does this excite you that there's a new PlayStation handheld potentially on the way? Uh, it doesn't excite me. Personally, I don't really have, you know, much of an interest in, in picking up a PlayStation 5. And obviously this is, is dependent on the PlayStation 5. It seems that they're kind of new build for this they've got several pieces of hardware related to this including even a, a pair of wireless headphones as well they're obviously marketing quite heavily now the psvr2 and all of these things are dependent on the playstation 5 so it seems like this is a marketing attempt to build like an all-encompassing entertainment system sort of thing which could actually rival a computer once you've assembled all the very expensive parts that sounds familiar doesn't it isn't that what the xbox one tried to do and got slated for Everything runs through your Xbox. It's your entertainment hub. Everything here. It's like, that sounds exactly what this is. But Xbox weren't offering peripherals or investing in peripherals of this type of value for it either. I think Xbox had a, a, a wireless USB dongle for a remote control. <laughs> Dude, they had the Kinect. <laughs> Why, you are silly. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, you win, you win, you win. <laughs> Do I think that's a good decision? No. Like, no, I don't. Because I think that making people reliant on a PlayStation 5 for all of these things, I would much prefer standalone pieces of hardware. As you know, I've got a, a an Oculus Quest 2, so I think that that is, is nice to have that standalone feature. A great side feature of that is that I can plug it into my PC and use it that way. So I would love to be able to have that type of openness for the Xbox or for the PlayStation, but there just isn't, unfortunately, you, you just can't do that sort of thing on those consoles. Xbox, because they don't seem to really be invested in VR, they're not really pursuing that. And then PlayStation, because they're focusing purely on pushing this whole entertainment mega system sort of thing. But when you look at it, I mean, the PSVR costs almost as much as a PlayStation 5, 
as I mentioned before, the cost of like the elite controllers that are on the current market, it's going to be like you're looking at like a two thousand two thousand dollar system. I think all all included. If you're looking for a PSVR, you're looking for these haptic feedback controllers, multiple ones of those. Obviously, if you want to play with your friends, plus now, uh, you know, the portable console. I see where the market for this is. I think that this is a great idea for people that have a PlayStation 5, that don't like sharing a PlayStation 5, that don't want to buy another PlayStation 5. You know, I think that the fact that it is 1080p, 60 frames per second, is is impressive as well. So it's actually kind of keeping up in terms of uh, expectations of, of portable hardware and surpassing some of the current offerings for it. So it is a step forward in that sense. However, you need to be connected to the internet at all times to use it, which is a massive own goal. Yes, massive exactly. Goal. And, and that's what leads me to think that this is for someone that has a PlayStation 5 that doesn't like sharing it, because it would be a case of, I want to play my PlayStation 5, my little brother wants to play Astro's Playroom, here, take the cue light. <laughs> But the always online feature there, it's not gonna in it's gonna all be streaming, isn't it? It's it's gonna that's I think where that's coming from. Which again, I mean like it has some value. If I go up to stay somewhere and it's got a decent Wi-Fi connection, remote play does function pretty well on the PlayStation 5, then again, you know, there is a place for that. Sounds kinda of like what Stadia wanted to be. Yeah, so this is what I'm it's not a step forward really in terms of portable gaming because of the fact that as we've both said it's it requires always online but it is a step forward in terms of streaming gaming because of the fact that if you were to go on holiday you don't want to take your playstation 5 but you might take the portable i can see a market for this but i can't see a huge market for this i think that they will need to revise the idea of the fact that this is always online this does need to have local features i don't want to well i personally would never pick this up and it sounds like you're the same because of the fact that it requires always online features well yeah and that and i'd never use it yeah simply yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't lug around a playstation 5 controller essentially yeah to stream games in worse quality on an 8 inch screen than i would be playing it on my ps5 that makes sense like that's what the switch is for yeah yeah and even then you don't really use your switch as much of a portable console anyway do you i use the exclusives as a portable console yeah oh sorry no but i meant uh you don't use it all that often i don't think this is for either of us really is it these days no not really but yeah no so you know i i kind of respect what it's trying to do but it's i i just think that they need to look at it again i think it could do relatively well it's not going to be a game changer as you say but hey We'll see, I guess. We'll see. And our final news story this week. In the week where the Super Mario movie was released, another gaming movie has announced its release date. The Minecraft live-action movie, which will star Jason Momoa, now has a slated release date of the 4th of April 2025. Despite first being announced in 2022 and having been in production for a couple of years now, we know very little about the plot of this movie. All we know is that it follows a young girl and her group of unlikely adventurers which suggests that Momoa will not be the main character, but will be in more of a supporting role. Now, this was interesting to me because I was completely unaware that this was a thing. I'd heard rumblings of a Minecraft movie, but to me that was just very unsurprising given the way and sort of how it was presented in the Telltale series Minecraft games. And being a thing that's popular for kids, it seemed like a very easy win. But I'd only heard that it had been sort of tied up in getting people behind it in order to direct it. So this is... Uh... This is suddenly come to the forefront now. As I say, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know. I, I did know there was a Telltale Minecraft series, but I didn't know what that was about, if you see what I mean. So I can't think for a minute what the movie would be like. But then, as I say, I haven't played the Telltale game, so maybe there's an already built in storyline there that I'm not aware of. But Minecraft, the game itself, you 
find a dragon and kill it. That's the game, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose <laughs> that kind of gives you quite a lot of freedom to do whatever you want and just sort of employ the the law and the way that things react in the game. You can just sort of apply that to a movie. And I think that it definitely allows for a lot of potential fan service in the movie. Because of the amount of creativity that people have, you're going to see all sorts of references, I think, to various creators. You would hope, at least. I think that's the sort of thing that will likely sell this movie. You're probably right. I just I can't see where this movie makes a story, but that's because I'm ignorant. I mean, it could be anything. That you know, there could be an evil wizard. There's wizards in the game. There's all sorts of different characters that they could just sort of create. You know, I it may well be the bad guy is just a brand new character in the series that comes to Minecraft world. You know, but then if it's live action, it's not going to look like Minecraft. So why? have it as minecraft uh okay i completely missed the fact it was a live action movie starring jason momoa so how does that work do you see what i'm saying my perception of this movie has been completely shattered i blazed over that if it's not live action i get it i mean jason momoa does have range i mean uh, that's not to say that he couldn't be uh, a young girl followed along (laughs) by her group of unlikely adventurers i guess my point is if it's live action what makes it minecraft because like you say it's so open-ended yeah yeah how are you going to tie that that's why this is weird to me but so in my mind momoa in this movie either plays sort of like a strong protective friendly type or he plays the bad guy i think that those are his two roles in this movie if i'm gonna have to do you have an opinion either way which one he might be i reckon it's gonna be a cameo what where he's (laughs) jason momoa as himself (laughs) no no or he'll just like be the girl's dad at the start and die. It'll be one of them ones. Ah, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because, I, I, you know, you're seeing a lot of big names attached to these movies. I think that's another thing that they try and help sell it. You know, we've seen with the Mario movie. They've even got what some people might consider questionable choices for the Super Mario movie. And they're, you know, a lot of people have criticised that just because they're trying to attach big names to it. Momo is a big name right now, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was one of the sort of core characters, or at least a peripheral character that was along for the ride. It all remains to be seen. Exactly. And just worth a little side note on this story, there was also a link in the article that suggested that Jack Black reckons the next game movie should be Red Dead 2. That makes more oh, sense really? okay. Minecraft, I won't <laughs> lie. But with that, I think that brings us to the end of the news for this week, so... With that all out of the way, why don't we head on over to Completionist Corner? Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. 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 So at the top of the show, uh, I tease that this is a game about conspiracies and nonsense. Uh, Your next clue is that it's a game from 2003. Got it yet? Well, it's 13, the classic version. Now, a little bit of background on this game. It's not a game that I'd played at all up until this point, but I believe, Will, you had played a little bit of back in the day because it's a PlayStation 2 release originally? Uh, So I actually played this on the original Xbox. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, so this is a game that I believe is published by Ubisoft Paris and uh, and developed by Microid Studio. Yeah, Epic Games also involved in it too. Yes, I did see the Epic Games. I wondered whether that was like a recent edition. It's the updated Epic Games logo that I saw on the splash screen when I opened up the game, so I was curious. Yeah, that's what I saw as well, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't come up as like the individual panel. They just gave Alienware and NVIDIA their shout-outs. That's right, yeah. I mean, yeah, with those super old school uh, uh, video cutscene things that you can't skip. It's, uh, yeah... It's showing all sorts of hallmarks of uh, of an old school game. Uh, I think you said it was 2003 release. 
Just in advance of that, and, and knowing just how old it was, I uh, made sure to install a few little patches and things like that to smooth the game out. I managed to get the game running in Ultra HD. Didn't experience too many issues with it. What do you say, man? I think it's time that we get into it. I would just want to pick up one thing that you've said there about graphics, because it's worth noting from the offset, this is a cel-shaded game, which is really cool and looked very nice. Yes, it's aged well. It has aged very well in terms of graphics. I didn't download any patches or anything like that. I ran it sort of native. And uh, I had very, very few major issues with it. But hey, enough with the background, let's get into it. So, the first thing we see is a, um, a cutscene of the president in the game called William Sheridan getting assassinated. Very similar to the JFK assassination, apart from instead of from a grassy knoll, it's from a building. At which point, it sort of fades to black and your character washes up on a beach. With absolutely no memory of anything. We are an amnesiac. And a gunshot wound. And we are picked up on the beach by a very Baywatch-looking young lady with blonde hair, who I don't believe you get her name, which is fair enough, because she doesn't last very long. Um, she, she essentially acts as the tutorial giver, uh, in that she sort of makes sure you can get up, she asks you to walk towards her, and then she says, oh, you're clearly f***. Uh, we need to get you to the medical tent. And at this point, as you start walking towards her to go to the medical tent, we get a flashback. Now, in this flashback, we are on a boat and we sort of have a little bit of freeform control. We can move up and down the deck and things like that. But essentially, it leads you down a linear path to the moment that you actually get shot by a group of people who, at this point, we don't know. And you then fall off the boat, which then presumably leads to you being washed up on the beach. The only real discernible thing about your character at this point is the fact that they have a Roman numeral 13 tattooed on their right shoulder slash chest area exactly which uh at this point has no context but all will become clear so at this point as i say we uh we fade to black after our flashback and when we wake up again we are inside the medical hut lying on a bed with this lovely blonde baywatch lady sort of looking after us uh it's clear that she's been fumbling through our pockets not because she's a thief no 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 she was just looking for some id um, and all she found in our pockets was a key to a bank which presumably is a lockbox a safe who knows? We have no memory, so we can't really do anything at this point. I think the key does suggest that uh, it's traced back to a bank in New York somewhere. Yeah, it has, it has the name of the bank on it, which yeah. is sort of all the information we have. At this stage, we hear a commotion outside. The young lady sort of walks around the kind of medical curtain, if you like, so you can see what's going on. And we just hear glass shattering and bullets going through Absolutely her body. Absolutely flying. At this point, we're like, what the f***? What's going on? Who are these men? So these men are led by a guy called Mongoose, who is actually the character who was chasing you in your vision at the start of the game off of the boat. Also the guy that shot you and uh, left that gunshot wound in your chest. And at this point we get control and the first objective we have is get the f*** out of there. So you just sort of head into a back office, don't you? And there's sort of bits and bobs floating about. There's no weapons at this stage. I think there might be some throwing knives. I think there's some throwing knives. I think you can also break glass in this game and use the glass shards as throwing weapons. So we pick up our glass shards, if that's what you went for. You pick up our throwing knives. There's a med kit in there. And uh, we sort of kill one dude right at the back who's trying to sneak in. I personally did this by stabbing him in the face. Because uh, worth noting that most weapons have sort of two shooting or usage options, if you like, that, which right. were bound by default to left and right mouse click. So left mouse click was sort of what you'd expect it to be, bog standard fire. In the case of the throwing knives, you lob the knife. So no aim down sight in this game. There is uh, This is before the days of the old Call of Duty aim down sights. Yeah, except for with the sniper rifle and the crossbow. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Scoped weapons excluded, yeah. Yeah, whereas your alternate fire is that. But the alternate fire on the throwing knives is a little stabby stabby. Very um, nice. 
Nice. And uh, if you stab someone in the face, they die instantly. Because for the most part in this game, a headshot means death. It's not always the case, but for the most part, a headshot means death. Yeah, typically with your sort of your bolty weapons and the single shot weapons, it's it's death. Whereas, yeah, there's that kind of you got to give them a burst in the head with a fully automatic weapon. Somewhere along the way, I think it's on the matey's body around back, we get a key which opens the front door. So we bust out and we kill the guy out there and then we're haul ass to try and get away. So as you play through this area, you'll also notice uh, uh, it's uh, as James mentioned, this game is a cell shaded game. It's very clearly meant to be sort of comic book inspired. And there's various sort of effects that will happen on your screen. Uh, obviously, whenever you shoot someone, there's usually followed by a big comic book ah over their head. Lots of biffs, lots of booms, lots of bangs, lots Rat-tat-tats of Rat tats of your gun. Yeah. Also, if you stand still in the game and uh, you don't move for a while, you can actually kind of see through walls because you can see footsteps of people tapping through the walls. Yeah. So although you can't see the person, you can kind of see where the words are appearing and guess that's sort of where they are. Some of the other cool effects that I really like, uh, I love getting headshots with the sniper rifle or the crossbow because you get a cool free panel, like a comic book free panel at the top of your screen of uh, of like a snapshot of when the moment happened. I also really like when someone's standing by a ledge, you shoot them off and they kind of a large rectangular panel opens up where the camera follows them off of the ledge down to where they land. Also, another one that I thought was really cool was whenever you have an explosion near your character from like a hand grenade or an RPG or whatever, the whole screen kind of like rattles as if you're watching a pain in a comic book, uh, which I, I thought was another really cool effect there as well. Also in this section, you'll notice, and this is a recurring theme for all of the other future levels in the game. This game has some really good music, I gotta say. The drummer in the band of the music that's playing is going absolutely ham at all times. Yeah, the drummer was was really good. And the music in general was good. I would have liked some more variety. Oh, there was there was some electronic themed levels as well there. Um, I would say that there was a lot of similarities in some of the earlier levels, but I think the music started to sort of change and diverge more towards the end. I think initially it had that very kind of spy themed thing with some wooden instruments and percussion and things like that going on in the background as well as a bit of piano but later down the line it got a little bit electronic as well okay again i I must have sensory dysfunction or something (laughs) because for me it was basically the same song every time the combat was always the mad drums it then calmed down then someone would see you and the mad drums would start up again it was basically the same drum i don't know what to tell you dude you've got sensory dysfunction or something because the music is definitely different or it's your patch dude yeah yeah but that's a big bug there but i mean yeah it could could well be sort of thing yeah yeah but no i agree with you though the music was tight but again just it got a bit repetitive i like the fact that as you mentioned briefly there it was uh it was reactive to what you were doing as well if you managed to yeah. kill some guys it then kind of went back to like chill back to just a little bit of drums and a bass guitar props to the sound guys because as will says talented musicians on display in this game oh definitely. credit where credit's due the drummer was top notch and as a drummer yourself will i know that you'd appreciate that yeah real good real good stuff to hear all of this in the first level of the game it, this is sort of to learn the mechanics of the game really this mission but then we end up in a car and we f- off to this bank and the guys inside the bank seem to know who we are. Not that we do. We have no clue who we are at this stage. No. They go, ah, yeah, oh, Mr. Yeah. Roland, but that's not Oh, us. Mr. Roland, it's been some time. Yeah. So we should probably cover at this stage that um, the only thing we have sort of know about our identity at this stage is that we are allegedly called Steve Roland. That's right. Slight spoiler, that's not actually who we are. We, we, we go by about three other aliases throughout this game <laughs> until we find out who we really are. But uh, we'll get to that when we come to it. But um, these guys know who we are. 
they take us through to the vault. I must admit, I was instantly suspicious of the Clark guy because he was like, oh, give me a key. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't <laughs> some know guys, if I want Some to. guys have just tried to <laughs> kill us for this key. What are you saying? But it was legit. And uh, we sort of have a sort of Gringotts Bank scene without the minecart. We just go down like this big old tunnel, get to this big old safe door and get let in by some grunts. And basically behind this vault is just a whole room of safety deposit box looking things. Mm, that's right. And we get to R1. And I was also, I was really worried at this stage that we were going to have to sort of go through each one manually. But no, very nice sort of white box highlighted exactly where I needed to go, which was a, a theme sort of throughout this game. This game doesn't really tell you what to do much. It gives you no hints where to go. There's no, no waypoints no, no. or anything like that. Old school game. <laughs> but, but when you do find what you need, it shows you exactly where it is. Like there's no like hunting a room to find something. It's like, no, no, the thing you need is in here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it kind of compensates in that regard. Um. So, and we open our safety deposit box, which has been shown to us and, uh, there is a boatload of cash and a briefcase in there and a bomb. What the hell? Why would we lock a bomb away? Cue flashback. So the flashback features us standing in the same room along with someone who is yet unnamed and we're both discussing the fact that we're planting a bomb inside the safe. So it appears, based on this flashback, and as our character confirms, that we've actually fallen into our own trap that we laid. At this point, um, we have to sort of move away from the explosion. Yeah, it's time to leg it, understandably. And this was something that was a bit weird in the game, because I stood quite near to this explosion when it happened, like relatively near, and I didn't lose any health whatsoever. So I was like, awesome, great. Explosion radiuses aren't that hot in this game. Awesome. I can get on with it. <laughs> Lob a grenade at someone and stand about 100 metres away. The f***ing radius still hits you. <laughs> Might be a slight exaggeration there. 100 metres like... <laughs> is an exaggeration, but far enough away that it shouldn't hit you. It still hits you. Yeah, so definitely it feels like your grenades and stuff are really powerful in this game. Yeah. Uh, really, really powerful. As are RPG rockets as well. I think this explosion is more of a kind of like a story-related explosion. So they set the radius nice and small just so you didn't... <laughs> because... Uh, so one thing that I will say about this game now, and there's potential for this to have happened in that moment, is this game, uh, like a lot of games from this generation, suffers from awful checkpointing in the missions oh in terms i'm of the so fact glad that... you said that that's my biggest fucking <laughs> hatred in this game yeah some of the missions uh they're you know some of them are maybe a handful of minutes long other ones can be a lot longer depending on the action sequences and things that take place in them and towards the end you start to get checkpoints but i always feel that that checkpoint is in there not as a marker of hey you're halfway through the level it's always like there's gonna be some bull coming up that you would probably fuck up and make a mistake on so we've put the checkpoint there just in case you fuck up and make the mistake but there's no checkpoints to mitigate like after going through a really different action sequence and then arriving somewhere else so so much of the parts of this game that i found frustrating were purely down to the fact that you would die you would have to watch a cutscene where the boss introduces himself and then find which the you boss can't again. skip by the way yeah unskippable in-game cutscenes you can skip all of the fmvs that take place in between levels but you can't skip the in-game cutscenes yeah. where you get the vignetting and stuff like that come over and it starts to look like a comic book panel again or, you know, a lot of the time the game requires you to monitor a conversation or do various things like that that you have to stand around for. And if you're dying a lot, you're going to have to be sitting through those a lot. So, again, this is something that's really not unique to 13 by any standards. This is a really common thing in games of this type of age. However, 
it doesn't stop it from being any more frustrating when you get used to more modern game design and, uh, you know, the sort of more forgiving way of playing. I'm glad you said that, as I say, because that's probably my one of my biggest complaints about this game. And uh, yeah, it's good that it wasn't just me. No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> but the explosion, uh, as I say, I think that it was shrunk down a little bit, just so the fact that you didn't get blown up and then you had to go through the whole bank telescene, giving the guy your key and various other bits and pieces before you get to the safe. But you say that, but you know what's super interesting? There's a mission that we're going to do shortly as well, which we'll come up to, where um, you, the, the final part of the mission is you have to escape in a helicopter. You can walk into the back blade of the helicopter and it'll kill you. Oh Trust yeah, me. there's 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 lots of bits in the game that yeah you can do some. Stupid and then yeah, and that is when we have to then do basically the whole level again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's another one where there was a fall I didn't think was going to kill me. It killed me, and I was like back at the start again. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so this explosion happens. Obviously, everyone in the bank goes a bit mad. They're like, "What the fuck is that?" And you sort of, if I remember correctly, you just have to sort of pull ass and get out of there, basically. Pretty much. Because everyone just thinks that you're a robber at this point. Yeah, exactly. You have to uh, avoid shooting any of the bank staff as well as the police officers. However, you get more of Mongoose's guys coming after you at that bank. They know you're going to turn up there because they are after your key as well. Which highlights that the trap would have worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, if only you'd have just been a little bit slower getting to that bank. This game would have been a lot shorter. <laughs> but we got out the bank didn't kill anyone yeah yeah i think you can use a lot of furniture and things you can use chairs to knock people out as i mentioned the, the glass shards you can use bottles ashtrays as well all non-lethal ways of taking people out you can either use it as a melee weapon or you can throw it you can also use it to distract people as well you can pick up certain things and throw them and then the person will go over and investigate yeah i wish you could throw a chair you can't you can't throw a chair no, <laughs> no that, that would that would have been cool and, th and actually that mechanic was such a love-hate thing for me. I loved that mechanic. I, I just thought it was implemented terribly. How so? Like uh, picking up things, hitting, and then getting to either pick something else up or switch weapon all took about five seconds longer than it should have. Oh, yes. It's very slow to switch like The transition the was very yeah. slow. Which in, which in a game that sort of requires you to be quite fast-paced at times, it is very annoying yeah the switching between weapons it requires a lot more planning in terms of you doing that stuff on the fly is very difficult yeah i'd agree with you there as well the the weapon switching especially when you're going between you smash the chair and then there's a, an animation that takes quite some time he kind of like just stares dumbfounded at the broken yeah. chair in his hands before tracking and it then lobs the it away yeah um and it's like dude, it all just takes time it. and when you're getting shot <laughs> it gets stressful and you don't have a lot of health in this game either it's worth like enemies shots do quite a lot to you you're pretty if you haven't got any armor on and you've got your full health bar you're pretty much shredded in like five or six rounds that's right so the way that the health system works again this is coming from a much older style of gameplay there is no regenerating health your health is a 100 value that slowly gets chipped down very similar to games like doom and then you pick up both helmet armor and body armor for your chest and each one of those affects just how much damage you receive depending on where you get shot yeah and the armor has a similar health bar to the health bar that's right your armor for both the helmet and the body armor has a maximum value with 100 i think and yeah. as you're getting shot your health will very slowly tick down whilst you have 100 body armor and 100 health but as you're also getting shot your 
body armor will degrade and that will lose value. And the lower it is, the more damage you'll take, leading up to eventually the point where it has no value anymore and it falls off. And what is quite nice, though, is when you put on your hat and your armor, then the rare occasions you do see in your own character model, you can see that you're actually wearing the, the helmet and the body armor, yeah. which that was, that was a nice touch, particularly for the time the game came out. I thought that was cool. So this game has a whole multiplayer mode and that's why that exists in the game. The fact that your character is actually a person on screen is because is of the oh, multiplayer okay. mode with it as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair. I didn't realize there was multiplayer in this game. Sometimes you'll notice the AI, and I mentioned this to you off pod a while back, that the AI for the multiplayer characters was really good. And I was actually noticing quite a lot of this feeding through into the story mode, although it was done slightly differently. So for instance, when you're shooting a character and they might have a pistol, if you kill someone next to them that has an assault rifle or a higher value weapon, they'll actually run over to their buddy, pick up the assault rifle and start using that instead, which for me, that was really advanced for a game of this age. Which I totally agree with. But unfortunately, it was sort of put alongside quite poor AI in the sense that you can be shooting at them, they can be completely open, they will still go and do it no matter what the danger. Yes, that's true. It sometimes is prioritised in a weird way, yeah. But I don't hold that against the game too much because the age of the game and the fact that they even did it at all, I think I agree with Will, is really cool. Yeah, I, I think that that's where I, I tend to fall on this as well. I mean... At its core, this is an action FPS game. Those have a big tendency to become boring gallery shooters. So anything that changes up the things a little bit or some cool additional attention to detail is always going to go a long way with me. I approve. We've gotten out of the bank at this point. We turn a corner and we get arrested. We're suddenly confronted by the full force of the FBI. Yeah, by some one-armed dude. Is it, is it Commander Amos or something? Was that That's him? it, Amos, yeah. Commander Amos, yeah. And, and uh, at first, this guy is not very friendly at all. Well, I mean, he has just charged us with uh, assassinating the President of America, as we saw in the first cutscene. Well, yeah, I mean, that is the thing. <laughs> We're a national threat, or at least considered one. <laughs> we just happen to look identical to the guy that did it. Hey, we don't know. At this point, we've got amnesia. It could well be us. But yes, yeah, so all we know at this point is that Steve Rowland was just the one that assassinated the president at the very start of the game in the opening cutscene. It's pretty incriminating. Amos goes on to show you uh, the window where the shot came from, and you do appear to be standing in it as well. Yeah, with a sniper rifle too. No it less. doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for you. <laughs> Oh dear, but uh, no, so he sort of tells us all this, and he sort of gets called away to something, doesn't he? And we're left to our own devices in this room, sort of feeling sorry for ourselves. We're, we're tied up, we can't do anything at this point. And uh, a familiar voice, a familiar lady's voice, sort of says something from the door, and we're like, well, who, who the fuck are you? And if you remember the little flashback that Will described earlier from the bank, where um, ourselves and a lady were sort of talking about placing this bomb, it's her, no less. And we learn that her name is uh, Corporal Jones, I believe her rank was. That's right, yeah. And uh, she says, hold still. I can get you out of this. Just don't move. And she shoots your, I want to say handcuffs, but it's not really handcuffs. It's more like cable ties. Yeah. And she says, yeah, thank me later. You know, I'll find you, whatever. And she sort of leaves. And then we have to try and escape the building. Because at this point, the FBI headquarters are also under attack by Mongoose and his men once again. Obviously still coming for our character. Yes, which uh, at this point is confusing because... The key is no longer a thing, and at this and we still have no context. So, uh, yeah, I think it goes a little deeper than uh, just a little bank safe box. We're sure to find out. <laughs> but no, so after smacking a bunch of people up about the head with a chair, uh, we escape the FBI premises. At this point, we escape via a rooftop, and we actually are equipped with a grappling hook 
that Jones gives us. And this allows you to secure to various points in the level and either raise or lower yourself as well. Uh, it doesn't have the quite the freedom that maybe you'd hope for in the fact that it could grapple to any object and, you know, a la sort of bionic commando or just cause. It's very much in keeping with the spy theme of the game, though. And this was a mechanic that, again, for 2003 was awesome. But it just it, it just wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. It was a little bit clunky, a little bit slow. And again, it suffered from the really, really clunky menuing to switch between weapons and items. It was just all very, it was all much slower than it should have been to be like top tier for me. But again, 2003 games. You have to sort of think of it through those eyes. You really do, yeah. But no, so we get the grappling hook and we sort of escape across various rooftops. And this is also where we're introduced to the sniper rifle, which um which I thought was probably one of the best weapons in the game it's a great weapon in the game because it's not bolt action it actually has a magazine and it holds like 10 bullets 10 bullets yeah the fire rate's a little slow as is the fire rate for a lot of guns even even the hand pistol in the game is actually quite slow firing let alone the revolver but yeah so we got introduced to the sniper rifle in this rooftop section um which was obviously very convenient because we had people sniping us from other sections of the roof and actually funnily enough this is the end of this mission is uh, where I was talking about where I got killed by a helicopter because uh, you get to the end of this mission and you, you hijack a helicopter to escape. So shortly after escaping with Jones as well, she also fills you in that the both of you were actually working with a war veteran that's called General Ben Carrington. Oh, didn't, I didn't clock his name was Ben. He's actually... In my, in my head canon, he was called Adam. Adam? Because <laughs> right. he was voiced by Adam West. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is Which was like... For me, the best thing about the game was the fact that Adam West was in it. <laughs> and he does ham it up quite a bit as Carrington as well, which is great. Yeah, he, he's like family guy Adam West. Yeah, yeah. Adam West, Adam West. So this guy, Carrington, was conducting a parallel investigation into the assassination of the president, and as a result, has now been arrested and taken to a base all the way up in the Appalachian Mountains. So we travel up to the Appalachian Mountains, we're dropped off with our trusty crossbow as well as a few other items, and we battle our way through a military base up until the point where we can eventually rescue Carrington who's being kept in a holding cell against his will. And the only thing I'll say about this section is this section contained the most frustrating mission in the game for me. <laughs> what was that then? It was the one where you have to turn off the four generators and um, climb the ladder and then get into the base. And the reason this was frustrating for me, 50% because I don't really like forced stealth. And when I say forced stealth, I mean this kind of stealth where if you get spotted, you straight away, the mission fails. Not quite. I think that they see you and then they run to an alarm, don't they? And it's the moment that they press the alarm. But when you're first in that mission, there's so many guards that you don't know where they all are that yeah. you do just get pressed. And that was pissing me off. But then once you learnt it, it was sort of okay, but this is where really the checkpointing became a major issue for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Because you do feeling. three of the four generators, get seen, and have to do the whole fucking mission again. That's right, yeah. So, after we rescue Carrington, we agree to help him, and we find out that in a previous life, we were actually recruited by him as a, uh, as a soldier. But despite this, he can't tell us our identity. Or doesn't want to. Yeah. One of the two. So, Carrington agrees to help us, and he tells us to go help someone out in the Rocky Mountains. We go ahead and meet this contact, who goes by the name of Kim Rowland. Oh, same surname as us. Exactly. Note the shared surname. We actually find out for a series of flashbacks that we're not at all Steve Rowland, who everyone else seems to think we are at this point. We're in fact someone else entirely. Steve Rowland was killed by 
a group of people that I think are formally known in this game as the Conspiracy. They're also sometimes go by the Twenty, uh, consisting of the Roman numerals 1 to 20, each of those being a member of the group. At this point, Kim Rowland... Also known as number 17. Also known as number 17, yes indeed, he's part of the Conspiracy. Seeking revenge for the death of her husband, contacts Carrington, who has recruited your character in the game, we find out that our character is actually known as Jason Fly, and we have been contracted to take down the 20, the conspiracy, as revenge, and uh, she believes that doing so with her deceased husband's face will uh, really sh** them up. Yes, and this is also the reason why we woke up on the beach with uh, XIII on our chest. Exactly, yeah, so we are an imposter going in trying to take out the 20, so shortly after meeting up with Kim Rowland, we then plan an escape. We go our separate ways. Kim goes out the back and we defend her escape. She then cuts off loose on her own. Jones isn't able to catch up with her and uh, she's then very suspicious of Kim. She's saying that we should have never trusted her in the first place. Which is understandable given that she's part of the conspiracy, so why should we? We then take off around the back shortly after the spads start to cave in the back of the cabin. Uh, at that point, I think we, we sort of make a hasty retreat down a mountainside and then we're taken out by an avalanche because someone decides to fire an RPG on a snowy mountain. So in that point... Instead of a fade to black, we have a fade to white. We then regain consciousness inside what looks to be a prison cell. Um, and we have a lovely, clearly mentally deranged perp next to us wearing all orange, sort of akin to Guantanamo Bay, who's just being an absolute nutter in sort of quite a funny way. Pinhead, pinhead, Macaulay's a pinhead. <laughs> He calls him a pinhead and then he's like, and then basically the director of the, it turns out you're in a mental asylum, right? And the director, who's called Dr. Johansson, comes in and he's addressing us. He's like, oh, the doppelganger and all this nonsense. And and this guy is just like, in comic relief next to us, just like, this circle! Like every sort of five minutes. <laughs> he gets shouted and, and, down and, and, by the troops. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was really funny. But um, basically what happens here is that um, Johansson fucks off to go torture someone. And um, we use this opportunity to escape. That's right. This is another quite a sneak-heavy mission. Uh, this is made a lot harder if you actually try and run and gun this. I did manage to run and gun this, but not with very, very many checkpoints. The game definitely wants you to take this slowly. Although it is worth noting that this mission does have the sort of objective of not being discovered, but it's not an instant fail if you are. That's right. It just makes the rest of the level a lot harder. Yeah. You can still run and gun using chairs and brooms and things like that, and it's actually really fun. Yeah, that's an instant yeah. one shot and they're knocked out, but it's basically death. But yes, yeah, so we we escape the mental asylum eventually. We sort of go through a bunch of rooms, um, sneaking around, manipulating patterns and things like that. And eventually the receptionist lady lets us out. But not before we've killed Dr. Johansson and we see that he is... Oh, and now we're testing my memory. He's a, he's a numbered character. I forget exactly which one. So Johansson's actually number 20. And this is quite an interesting boss fight as well. So at this point, you're equipped with, you've got like assault rifles and things like that. You're definitely good to go for this fight. And he'll come at you. He has various attacks. He kind of throws syringes and scalpels at you. He tells you- And test tubes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The test tubes are sort of grenade, explodey grenades. That if you walk in, it kind of obscures your vision. And then during various phases in the fight, he'll actually start chasing you down, attacking you with the scalpel, as well as attempting to stab you with a syringe. Which he did get me with once. Yeah, if he gets you with that, then your vision goes all wavy and disoriented. But no, yeah, as you say, very, very cool fight. And, and actually, he had quite a lot of health. The bosses do. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, but you see, there were at least two bosses, and it might, in hindsight, it might be because I had double Uzis at this point in those ones, but they went down like straight away. Ah, right. Yeah, the double Uzis are very effective. Interestingly, I didn't actually find the important document in the level that gets you the double Uzis, so I was actually running around with only single hand uh, in this playthrough. I remember the mission that it was in, but I unfortunately didn't stumble across it. So as a bit of a side note here, seeing as we're talking about it, this game has various skills in the game that you can use, but they are reliant on you finding these documents that are sometimes a little bit out of the way, some are much more closer and as part of the storyline, but it is possible to miss these things. And on this occasion, I was wondering, like, why am I not dual-wielding yet? What's going on? Did this just happen later on in the game? And it turns out that because I missed that collectible, I didn't actually get that ability. So... I guess, to a certain degree, there is a level of replayability in here. If you do miss some of them, that you can go back and actually get your skills that you didn't have. Some of them are very useful. I think one of them allows you to walk silently. Obviously, you've got the dual wielding. Another one allows you to... Breathe underwater longer. That's it, yeah, exactly. That's not that handy, though, that one, because there's only, like, two underwater sections in the game. It's true, yeah. Although I did actually end up suffering uh, a checkpoint issue on one of those as well where i accidentally oh, really? drowned <laughs> yeah so you know in that situation uh it would have been useful so yeah there's there are these sort of skills that really aren't essential to the gameplay but they do make it a lot easier if you bother to explore the levels a little bit that's your main motivation for exploring isn't it yeah it is yeah and i i didn't really focus in on that but i guess i lucked out and got the dual wielding one and i'm so glad i did because as i say it made at least two of the bosses in this game free it really did nice but yeah so this was our first sort of boss fight as well and it was and it was a cool introduction and, and basically gave you the style of what was going to go on which is this is a sort of special enemy specific health bar above their head and they've got a lot more health than other mobs and it sets the tone that you're slowly knocking off the conspirators as well one by one but no so after we've had that fight we actually get let out by um the receptionist of the building she's like oh no f this i'm going no let me out let me out and then we just follow her out follow her out yeah i did yeah okay like the door had... the, 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 no sorry she didn't like walk out but the door opens and then she's gonna go there and i just ran out oh okay so she tells you uh actually take me hostage and you can actually through that section you you hold her hostage which is another feature you can do in the game uh and you can actually just use her to avoid getting shot by the guards as you leave oh that wasn't i thought that was a different lady i didn't think that was the receptionist i think yeah yeah for you me, could be you could be yeah, right yeah. but I, I i thought it was a different like it, it one thing about this game and it's cell shading pretty though it looks there were a couple of characters i found hard telling apart <laughs> yeah that's true yeah unless they're wearing explicitly different outfits it is quite different yeah so so maybe this is just one of those because you are right you I, I i just remember finding a lady and she was like oh f thanks for saving me but take me hostage i don't recall it being the receptionist though but you're probably no it's not the receptionist. no sorry it's, it's not because it's, someone it's a that prisoner you in the bus room. yeah you're absolutely right yeah. yeah yeah but like i believed you which shows my point I think <laughs> it could have been either but yeah so you do take her hostage and then you when you do that you can sort of if so long as you're facing an enemy they won't shoot you yeah we hijack an ambulance with this hostage we escape and we actually end up falling down a cliff because we're getting shot at as we uh are getting chased in this ambulance and uh at this point we just sort of leave the hostage in the grand canyon at least it looks like the grand canyon i, f I forget what it's called exactly it's the something canyons but no so uh we sort of leave her by the ambulance she's like thank you for all your help i'll never forget you but you know you're leaving me here you dick and uh we then head through a bunch of canyon sections to try and meet up with Jones, who has got an Apache fighter jet hidden somewhere in a valley. You get a nice little section where you're running through the canyons, you've got people shooting you with RPGs or guns from up top, bunch of mobs down below, there's some sections with some zip lining, which was 
a cool section, but it was you had to be very precise with where you held the cursor to activate it, I found. If you got too close to the apparatus, you couldn't do it. And if you got ever so slightly too far away, you couldn't do it. You had to be in a really specific point. Uh, okay, I wonder if, again, that was something that got patched out because I just looked at the pole pointing up in the ground and it just clicked onto it each time. Yeah, I had to be a bit more specific with it. And and actually, I found this was another issue I had with the game was there are a few doors that you have to unlock with keys and the like, and you have to select a very specific part of the door to actually activate it. Again, not too bad, but it was quite frustrating, particularly if I was under fire yeah that's yeah. the thing and, and it kind of goes back to the point we were talking about the slowness of weapon swapping you have one bar for your weapons and you have one bar for your gadgets which also includes keys and lock picks and things like that and your med kits also which are ridiculous because there's a quick there's a quick heal button so why i weirdly i'm not i'm not certain that there was a quick heal on the og xbox oh it's okay that could be it. yeah because I, I was just pressing q and it would use like the most appropriate health pack yeah that's right, yeah. But but that that is something I, having not played the original, didn't appreciate. That could see, well I'm not sh- I'm not sure, but I don't recall there being a quick hill. You're probably right, because where would you put it? Where would you map it? Right? Mm, yeah. But yeah, so that was kind of frustrating. But it didn't take away from actually how cool I thought this mission was. I think this is possibly I don't want to say my favourite mission, but it's probably one of the cooler missions, just in terms of jumping about. There was enough things to climb up that made it exciting, and yeah, I thought it was really cool. But Long and short of it is you eventually get to a mine shaft, which you, you punch some planks and you get through them, which is always fun. And um, you slalom around through small canyons and eventually you get to this Apache fighter jet, which you then fly off with, with Jones in tow. So at this point, you're escaping with Jones in your fighter jet and the next sort of mission that's given to you is to go and attend a secret meeting at an army base and uh, see what's what. So this army base is located in Mexico, so we haul ass over there drop on down, and we start to infiltrate this base. And as we're actually infiltrating this base, we overhear two soldiers discussing a previous squad mate of Steve Rowlands, who is the guy that we are currently doppelgagging. We find out that this squad mate is actually, uh, through, you know, some pretty heavily laid on clues there, he was a previous squad mate of Rowlands, going by the name of Jason Fly. They say, ha, whatever happened to that guy? And the other soldier says something like, oh, he went to go work for... Carrington shortly after so again that's very clearly based on the flashbacks that we've had it's pretty strongly suggested that we're Jason Fly considering that we went to work for Carrington and actually at this point when he says Jason Fly don't we then get a flashback which sort of confirms that we we are Jason Fly yeah yeah yeah. because the game does this quite well it's sort of because we're an amnesiac a, a key phrase will happen and it triggers a memory Yes, that's right. But yes, so that's a very cool way to open this section. And this section was another sort of sneaky section, really. There's spotlights and various things that you have to avoid. There's lots of patrolling guards and you have to hide the bodies, otherwise they'll alert other ones. But again, if I remember correctly, alerting didn't actually fail the mission in this. At this first point, at least. It didn't, no. I think that it's only really when you need to actually get right up to uh, to the secret meeting that it actually becomes a problem. And at this point, I'll also say that uh, I some of the sort of sense of humour of the game really starts to come out in parts like this. It happened a little bit in the Asylum, but you get a lot of cheesy dialogue in this game, a lot of funny chatter in between the guards. In a previous mission, you find a bunch of guys arguing over a snowman that they've built. Uh, in this one, you get a guard taking his opportunity in the limelight, or we'll call it the spotlight, because he's standing there singing a ballad sort of thing. <laughs> 
yeah. and actually <laughs> there's quite a few moment. sections in the game where the guards are walking around and they're just singing and you get like instead of tap tap for the footsteps you get la la for singing but you can still hear them yeah that's right that's right they had uh, they had a fun time recording some of the dialogue lines for these guards and i think that it's always nice to see when they inject and have a bit of fun with the game as well it's very evident in this yeah and props to the singer as well some good pipes but yes yeah, so after doing this sort of stealth-ish section we'll call it we actually get to the final sort of part of the game where where the desert tent that we have to infiltrate which we then have to bug and then hide in to listen to the secret meeting this part was actually a full stealth part you have to kill people hide the bodies otherwise you will get found out but what was nice about this bit was there were sort of three guards i think initially kill them hide their bodies you could do that at your leisure no problem it's only when you've planted the bug inside the tent that other people start coming in and that's where you can be found. But there were some conveniently placed bushes around the camp that you could hide bodies in. Uh, that's right. That was nice. And it's a nice change of pace, I found, because once again, this is at its core, it's an action shooter game. I think the fact that it's got mechanics like taking hostages, like grabbing and hiding bodies and things, it, it just adds some extra needed layers to this game. I slightly disagree with that. I think at its core, it's more of a action stealth game. I think there's, it's very highly stealth orientated as well but i agree with your point but yes so we hide our bodies we bug the room we listen to this secret meeting which is uh, between a couple of the members of the conspiracy there's a uh, general mac call very it was it was very specifically two words i thought it was mccall from the dialogue before but when you actually get to the boss fight it's mac call yeah yeah uh, who is number 11 and then there was the captain of a submarine franklin idlebright is the captain of the submarine idlebright that was it idlebright is number seven so they have this meeting uh as you're in you're sort of in a back compartment of the tent but you can still see through like um, a mesh window of sorts and what's fun about this is you can't actually escape because there's a couple of guards having a cigarette outside the back bit where you're hidden so you literally have to stay for the meeting no matter what you can't because if you kill the guards they'll alert the meeting and then you'll get a game over but so they have this meeting, they all f**k off ski, and at this point we're then a bit more free to move on to the next part of the mission, which is just uh, catching up with General McCall here, and uh, this is boss fight number two. Was this one of the free ones for you? This wasn't one of the free ones for me. Oh, okay. This wasn't a, this wasn't a difficult one though. You get a sort of cutscene where he does the whole oh oh you know let's talk about this number one's ready to reintegrate you into the group. Uh, That's let's, right. Uh, you know, yeah. It's, and he tries to but then literally shoots you straight away afterwards so it's pointless but um this section sort of takes place in quite an open area of the camp there's very little cover for him to sort of stand in but you can use buildings quite intelligently that's correct yeah. and, and i actually got a, and again this might not have been necessarily down to a bug in the ao or something like that but i actually got in a situation i didn't do this first time but i think second or third time i did it and I got in a situation where I was just running around the building, chasing him and just shooting him in the back. Oh, okay. okay. Right. And, and he just kept and he just kept running around because I think their coding is try and get away and reposition then shoot. and then shoot. And you had him in a constant state of reposition. <laughs> I had him in a loop. Yeah. Nice. So so it was it wasn't free, but it was sort of relatively. How did you find this fight? Did you have a, any specific way of doing it? No, Grenades not really. Also very useful in this. I've got to say. Yeah, I was just just chucking everything I had at him. Really, it really wasn't too much of an issue. Uh, I think at this point he's armed with an LMG, so he's kind of out firepowers you, but yeah, no, not much of a challenge uh, in no. total. And long reload times as well. 
Yes, yeah. Which you can exploit. That's kind of the main exploit for this boss fight. It sounds like neither of us had too much trouble on this boss fight. Yeah, um, pretty straightforward. We, we, we killed him dead and uh, sort of we get radioed in by Jones, I believe it is, and she's like, you have to get to this submarine and get on it. So so we do just that. We, we infiltrate the submarine base. We sort of kill a few folks that are hanging around and eventually we get inside the submarine. Uh, the submarine goes down and uh, we're, we're in it and we have to go kill more members of the SPADS team and uh, number seven here. Get rid of Edelbright as well as uh, destroying a couple of armaments on board the submarine as well. Yes, which actually ended up as with us destroying the submarine. Um, but we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves there because the first thing we have to do here is um, sneak through the submarine and this was another stealth section you have to be absolutely silent you can only kill guards you can't kill members of the crew um, there's a lot of stop start where you're waiting for people to walk above you on sort of walkways so they don't see you you have to wait through various cutscenes to take place so that people move and you can actually get through but eventually we infiltrate we get to radio so that we can tell Jones where the submarine's destination is so that she can meet us there but then through a series of events whereby we try and hijack the submarine, we try and destroy the shipment it's carrying, and we actually end up killing the captain. And, th- and this was a free boss fight for me, this one. Edelbright. Yeah, he was Yeah, he was low on the health bars as well. Yeah. He comes out of a side room, and this was, I think, the first time I had the double Uzis. And I just... In the head, dead. <laughs> Straight, like, literally, literally that quickly. Nice. Yeah, it really was. So this was the first real free boss fight. Um, and, and basically from it, from there, we, we end up setting off an alarm in the ship. We have to go to the missile bay so that we can escape through the missile bay. But by this point, the submarine's risen and has docked where it needs to be. And uh, when we actually arrive in the facility, we're told, look, you can't risk any of these armaments getting out. You have to destroy the submarine. So we sort of we walk around the level and this is where we're introduced to, I think, the final unique weapon of the game that we find, which is the harpoon gun. That's right. Yeah. Um, which anyone that's played any game ever in the world before knows that there's going to be an underwater section because of that. So uh, we do go through the underwater section because we have to place a bomb on the propeller of the submarine so that we can destroy it. Now, I don't know about you, Will. I was a little bit disappointed by the size of this explosion. It didn't look like it would have destroyed the submarine at all. No, I think I think it's not really supposed to destroy the submarine. I think it's supposed to stop it from functioning. That's why you stick it on the propeller. Yeah, this is like a, a small explosion to stop it from being able to go anywhere as opposed to... It's like it's putting it out of commission as opposed to like... Oh, fair. Yes, I, 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 it. <laughs> I heard it as like destroy the submarine. We're going to nuke this f***ing sub. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, but, but I guess not, no. But once you've done that, you have this sort of underwater section whereby you can one-shot people with harpoon guns and it's incredibly satisfying, as most harpoon sections in games are, to be honest with you. But yeah, we, we press a few buttons, which opens a few tubes, we get out of that facility and we're rescued. And that's when we move on to the next part of our mission. So we head back to the United States where we rendezvous with Amos, the head of the FBI, and General Carrington. Yes, and at this point, Carrington explains who we really are with evidence so that Amos actually believes us. And uh, we're now all working together. We pool our resources, as it were. And uh, we also discover that Sheridan's murder was actually orchestrated by Steve Rowland. By the real Steve Rowland. By the real Steve Rowland, that is, not us. However, he was betrayed and murdered by the conspirators, or the 20, shortly after the assassination. But he did survive long enough to contact his wife, Kim. Uh, at this point, Kim, pissed off by the death of her husband, set about the uh, the plans that we're actually running through right now. Yes, and it's worth noting that the person that killed Steve Rowland was also the mongoose, who was the same guy that tried to kill us. And we also have a flashback here where we remember that we were very, very close to identifying the leader of the 20, the conspiracy, the notorious number one. Before something went wrong. What went wrong? We don't know. 
The flashback ended. And we didn't get to see the face. It's all blacked out, as all the flashbacks are in this game, to be fair. They're all sort of blacked out because it's a memory that you don't quite recall. So, now the FBI's on your side, and along with the help of Carrington, your character, who from now on will just go by 13, seeing as that we don't have the confusion between Steve Rowland anymore, you manage to infiltrate a hotel that is nearby in the States, and you identify two more of the conspirators, going by the names of Jasper Winslow, who was actually the head of the bank, also goes uh, by number nine. And you have Clayton Willard, who is a US senator, who goes by number five as part of the conspiracy. So you're beginning to kind of build this picture that a lot of these conspirators are high-powered, sort of high-ranking people that are going to have a lot of influence. This sort of paints a sort of Illuminati-style picture. Yeah, it really does. So after dispatching those two, you discover a coup between the conspirators to actually overthrow the US government and seize control of the country. They're doing this by, you know, obviously using their influence and high-ranking members to seize control of the military, and they will use that to establish martial law across the United States as part of their takeover plan. Basically to rush in a totalitarian regime rather than democracy. Exactly. All spearheaded by the 20, or the dwindling 20, slowly. <laughs> the sort of nine at this point. We're going to need to get some new members. So at this point, our mission is to now locate the meeting place of the conspiracy, so we head there. And where is this meeting place? It's where all good evil team meeting bases are. It's under a fucking rich guy's estate in some Katakumi church type place. So after accessing the Winslow estate, uh, previously owned by Jasper Winslow, as I mentioned previously, the head of the bank, also goes by number nine. Who now dead. Who now dead. We now find out that the coup is actually meeting at his old estate in a place that they call the Sanctuary, which is located beneath the estate. We sneak our way through. Uh, it's another sort of semi-stealth mission mixed with a bit of action at the end. We overhear the dinner plans of the conspirators, and this is where we get the concrete proof of all of our ideas around their idea for the military coup, as well as taking over the United States. At this point, with sufficient evidence, we then make our escape obviously followed by a fair few of the conspirators. And i got to say, a lot of these are dressed in kind of KKK garb. It's like all white gowns with spiky tops. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's that a little bit mixed with the stonemasons, isn't it? In terms of like the way that they're armed, they all yeah. come at you with crossbows and things. It also made me think a little bit of the uh, castle in Resident Evil 4 when they started coming at me with crossbows. I can see that, yeah. That that level in general, to be honest, like I got some castle vibes Yeah. 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 Proper cult stuff, this. It was it was well done, actually. So, on escaping from the sanctuary, we meet up with Carrington, as well as the head of the FBI. We also meet up with Walter Sheridan, who is the brother of William Sheridan, who was the president assassinated at the beginning of the game. Yes, and if you've been listening carefully throughout the game, you might recognise his voice. So, between the three of you, you come up with a plan for your character, 13, to impersonate a colonel, and you actually sneak into the military base, along with the help of Walter Sheridan. <laughs> but that sounds all too easy, right? Well, it is, it turns out, because you get told at the door that only Sheridan can enter the base. Uh, the colonel, unfortunately, can't come with you, because we don't want to give the president's staff any more work. 
So shortly after arriving at the military base, we actually encounter the current president of the United States, who I believe is called Galbrain, and we actually need to protect him from the SPAD forces that are attacking the site. Yes, because they're trying to come in and um, capture him. Exactly. Capture him and wrest control of all the juicy military hardware located inside. Yes. A quote from the game, 2,000 megatons beneath this building. So as we go through this, we also eliminate quite a few of the remaining members that have either not been killed or yet arrested, including a guy called William Standwell, who uh, is the former chief of staff for the United States Air Force, also known as Number 3. We also kill a dude called Calvin Wax, who is a former US Secretary of Defense and the sole possessor of Number 1's identity. We don't actually get to kill this guy. As we're just about to encounter him, he spots us through the glass and he actually says, we'll both die here, and he caps himself in the head. Not before he presses a button to initiate the self-destruct sequence of the entire facility. That's exactly right. Yeah, he's trying to kill us both. Yeah, And everyone else, you know. <laughs> in, in America, probably, because there's 2,000 megatons worth of nukes below the place so at this point i think that he's kind of given up on the conspiracy and he's just kind of doing his own thing he clearly yeah doesn't have uh, much faith there but we manage to fight our way through the facility we eventually through various points meet up with our group that we traveled in with including walter sheridan and a couple of lady friends as well we also finally get to the bit where all of the nukes are housed, where we're confronted by the last boss in the game, Mongoose. Only boss in the game with two health bars. And I say that sort of tongue-in-cheekly, because it's only one health bar, and then phase two, you have no idea what the fuck's going on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I think I sussed in phase two that you need to get him near the edge of one of the missile silo craters where the missiles have sunk down, because the way he dies is he falls over, right? Yeah, yeah. So I can only... I think you have to herd him there. I, I, I don't know. So the, the main... The, the, the trick of this one is that you might notice whenever you shoot the nukes, they shoot a load of green gas out of them. I did not notice that. No, I didn't see that at all. Okay. I shot a nuke. Yeah, I thought I thought that was like avoid doing that. <laughs> I, th I thought that was the thing. Right? So I thought so too until I saw just how willy nilly he was being with his shots, and I noticed that he was damaging the nukes and they were shooting green gas out. Okay. When I started firing at them, what it does is it kind of temporarily paralyzes him. You can kind of get used to the fact that he will within fairly regular timed intervals duck out to take shots at you before he runs away again. He's a very run and gun type fighter. So if you time it just right, you can shoot the nuke so that it'll emit some green gas just as he comes out and he actually starts to choke on the gas, giving you a nice big window to deal some damage. Okay. So there's no herding involved. My feeling of that got to the point where I think once he gets to a certain level of damage, he starts hanging around in the general area. And then when you finally finish him off, he kind of stumbles towards the edge. He, he kind of gets there quick time. That Whatever happens, he's coded to make sure he's there by the time he gets to the last bit of health and then flashbacks to uh last week when we covered the birkin boss fight he just kind of chucks himself off the ledge as you mentioned earlier and uh, do you see him die will no you do not and what did i say last week about the birkin stuff if you don't see him die if you don't see them die they're probably not dead I, I did not do this boss first time i did not do this boss second time this took me about five goes Five, six toughest boss fight in the game no doubt especially if you weren't aware of the fact that you could uh stagger him stun him like that yeah i was just using the um the lmg the lmg and pure huge will clip. alone <laughs> well the lmg the assault rifle which is probably my favorite weapon in the game behind the sniper rifle yeah. the assault rifle was wicked yeah especially because you had grenade launcher on it as well wicked. oh yes um and actually towards the end um, when he was going around the corners uh, i was actually using grenades i was just like fuck this guy if the nuke blows up that would be a funny cutscene. <laughs> and that and funnily enough that's what finally triggered him to fall over ah oh, there you go but yeah it was a tough fight but um 
a fitting conclusion, I'd say. You know, the final boss should be the hardest boss. And at this point, you then climb a ladder to escape, meet up with Carrington, Sheridan, and Jones is there. Uh, Jones sort of says to you as you make it to her, it's like, Scare me like that again, and I'll take you out myself. Which I thought was a bit aggressive, given that she's sort of the de facto love interest in this game. She's a strong lady. She's very strong. A cool character, actually. I, I liked Jones. She was fun. But it was actually at this point, as you get to the end of the mission, you think you're done and like life's good. You get single-handedly the best voice line in the game. From our good friend Adam West, who played Carrington. You magnificent son of a bitch. You okay, Wally? Is it really over? You bet your ass. <laughs> it's wicked it's so fun and we have truly thwarted the coup or so we think and at this point we get a sort of the ending cut scene if you like we see that um everyone's sort of happy families walter sheridan is running for president to take over from his brother and it's looking like he's going to win it like he's a strong favorite i don't think it's actually confirmed that he is going to win it but certainly it's implied that he's likely to yeah and as a result we get a sort of um epilogue mission if you like where we end up um on the boat from the start of the game funnily enough if that wasn't another hint where there's like a party sort of celebrating that all of this is over and that seemingly sheridan's going to be voted in as next president and this sort of basically is a bit of fan service we walk onto the boat we see a lot of the characters that we've come to be friends with throughout the game you know we see carrington we see jones we we see Sheridan, we see Jones is uh, out of her military fatigues and wearing a smoking dress. Yeah, and she heavily tries to get you to flirt with her. And some dude next to you is just like hitting on her and she's just not interested at all. It's really funny, actually, that bit. And quite a nice touch in this section as well was that um, basically some fireworks go off at the front of the boat and it's quite a loud bang. And it's as you're talking to Carrington and Amos and they both sort of hear the bangs, you get a slight bit of the drum beat from when combat starts and they pull their guns. And I think you're meant to think like, oh, here we go. Yeah. But, but I actually clocked the light of the firework before the bang, which was actually, again, very realistic because light travels faster than sound. And you sort of get ushered away to go find walter sheridan because he's missing this and you sort of see him duck into a cabin so you follow him and what happens then is you you head down a flight of stairs uh, which is actually the same flight of stairs you head down in the flashback uh, from earlier in the game which is quite cool and as you're heading down you hear sort of a woman screaming and a man sort of shouting at her saying you had the chance to kill 13 and that and you actually discover that the woman that's being shouted at is kim number 17 who helped you out earlier which suggests that the original plan was that kim was actually going to help the conspiracy guys out even after helping you out but she bailed because you saved their ass which is another reason why jones saying that she shouldn't be trusted is quite poignant and it's at this point you then go into the office from earlier in the game where you sort of see the flashback of where you're right in front of who number one is but you can't see who it is you get another flashback which is pretty much identical to that i think and then who do you see walking into the office with a couple of armed guards none other than walter sheridan who says are the fireworks not to your liking, Mr. Fly? Basically, the reveal being that number one was the president's brother all along. Well, I mean, it's not 100% confirmed. That's that's the thing, is it's, it's all but confirmed. He's not 100% he's number one. Uh, I, cl- I thought it was because, as I say, I, I mentioned earlier, if you recognise his voice yeah. from somewhere in the game, I actually clocked that it was his voice as number one. Yeah. Yeah. Whether he is actually the number one, that's left left sort of unsaid. But you're, I think the implication is that he is. You then get a two be continued at the bottom. We get the credits. Apparently, there was meant to be a thirteen two. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's the game. What, what did you think, man? You, you'd obviously played it before. Did it um, meet your expectations playing it again? Did it, anything that you misremembered, anything you enjoyed specifically? Yeah, so I think that this game absolutely still stands up for me other than a few points, which I wouldn't consider truly major. Uh, so I found that the gunplay was still very good. You could definitely tell that they had thought about a multiplayer section in there in terms of the way that recoil works. You definitely couldn't just keep your hand on the uh, assault rifle and hope for your bullets to land. You actually needed to play this in a bit of a weird way, almost quite similar to Counter-Strike, because not all of the time would your bullets necessarily land where the crosshair was landing either. But once I realised that and began to sort of counter the recoil of the guns, I really enjoyed the gunplay. I thought that the graphics, um, as I mentioned before, it does look really good, obviously being held up by the fact that it's cel-shaded. I found the level variety to be really good as well. I mean, we go through military bases, FBI headquarters, a bank in a city, we go to canyons, we go to we go to a sanctuary, you know, we go to so many different places. So loads of variety there. I think that the sound design, honestly, it all pulled it together. I think that the the music and the whole feel of the game is a poor. I really don't have a great deal of bad things to say about this game that I haven't said already. I think the main issues being, as we've already discussed, very dodgy checkpointing and the fact that that is then compounded by the fact that you've got unskippable boss sections and things like that coming out after it. But other than that, I found this game to have aged remarkably well, especially considering that I was viewing this very heavily through a strong mitigating lens of this game came out <laughs> like 20 years ago. <laughs> How about yourself? So it's interesting. There's a lot of points that I agree with you on. There's a lot of points I don't. A lot of the negative stuff we have already covered, as you say, the most egregious thing for me, or one of the most egregious things to me, was the checkpointing. I thought it was really poorly done. Luckily, it didn't impact me too much. It was only a few missions where it was just ridiculous. I thought that the game was very let down by poor movement a lot of the time. And what I mean by that is the ladders in this game were a complete joke. You try, you get to the bottom of the ladder, you try and come off it and you start climbing back up. No, I want to get off the ladder. I can't tell you how many times in that final boss fight where I tried to get off the ladder to initiate it and it wouldn't let me. Do you know how you do it? You just look away from the ladder and press forward. It didn't always work for me. Right, okay. I did that and I'd be looking there and it would go up back up the ladder. That was really irritating. I found that there were certain sections of the game where it kind of wanted to be a cover shooter, but the the crouching and covering was all too slow for it to be really what I would have liked. Again, though, we see this through the eyes of a 2003 game. I can slightly forgive it for that. Cover shooters didn't exist at that point. <laughs> I didn't think the shooting felt that good in this game. Uh, I agree with you that the recoil stuff was all very good, very before its time and, and was very cool. But the guns, none of them felt good to me. Really? I liked the sniper rifle, but the shooting of it didn't actually feel good. I, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I, I just didn't get too much satisfaction out of the shooting. For me, the issue was mostly the rate of fire in a lot of these guns. Like, the pistol fires way too slow. You need to be able to fire that thing as fast as you can pull the trigger, and you couldn't. That was uh, that was a gun that wasn't so great. But then, obviously, once you get it equipped with a silencer, it becomes really useful. You're absolutely right there, but I just didn't think any of the guns felt good shooting mm. them. I much the only thing that felt really good to me was stabby stabby throwing knives. <laughs> really, did. and the, and the actual the throwing of the throwing knives was really satisfying too, especially if you got a headshot. Um, the art style was great, as we've said. Cell shading looks great. I love Borderlands. This gave me a lot of Borderlands vibes, so that was cool. The story was okay uh, for the most part, but a little predictable, as I sort of hinted. I kind of yeah, guessed who number one was. Yeah. No sh 
The guy's brother was the bad guy? Kind of, yeah, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, the second there was matey's brother, I was like, it's probably him. Then the voice things is like, okay, sweet. And my final sort of knock, which is kind of a joke, but is also true. I would have liked a bit more of Adam West in this game. (laughs) Cool little bit of trivia here for you. Uh, You might not have realised, because your character's voice lines are very flat and delivered in, in a very kind of melancholic way, but those are actually provided by David Duchovny of X-Files fame. Well, there you go. No, that is a nice bit of trivia. I didn't know that. And also, I mean, this comic book theme of the game, it's actually because it is indeed actually based on a comic book of the same name by Belgian author Jean Van Ham. Very nice. But no, so for me, this game had the potential to be something really quite cool, but it was let down by being a bit slow, being a bit clunkier and some just frankly poor design choices in my opinion which is a shame but you know it was it was it was quite good fun for what it was but i I won't be playing this game again yeah i think that uh this for me was it was one that was uh there was obviously a hell of a lot of nostalgia playing it had a good time playing it but it would certainly be a good long time until i play it again i think yeah Yeah. i had a a fun time blasting through it i really did i think that it, it scratched my itch of wanting a fun fps that i could for the most part just crash my way through well we hope that you enjoyed the story of the conspiracy with us and we'll bring back with another story in completionist corner next week and with that we come to the end of the show if you enjoyed what you listened to you can as always find the podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcast by searching for total pod mode we also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. With that, listeners, thank you for making it this far. We really appreciate you. Will, thank you for making it this far. I really appreciate you. (laughs) No worries, buddy. Another week, another episode down. Until next time, everyone, I hope you've had a great Easter. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week, everyone. Take care.